Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Hello and welcome to the UK Tech Weekly Podcast. I am joined today by Sean Bradley and Dominic Preston, who have just freshly returned from wonderful Las Vegas. How are you doing, boys? Beautiful. How are you? Not beautiful or wonderful. Um, <laughs> no, no. I'm um, coping. <laughs> we are going to have a kind of whistle-stop tour through uh, what these two saw um, over at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas last week. Um, if you aren't aware of CES, it is um, obviously the, the first big technology show of the year, um, spawning, spanning everything from um, the latest car technology to the latest phones and uh, the latest developments in PCs and gaming, uh, which Sean is going to really deep dive on. Um, I think the way we're going to do it is I'm just going to ask you what you kind of, the two things that you saw at the show that kind of most stood out to you in terms of being uh, really fresh and interesting. Um, we'll start with you, Don. What was the first thing that you wanted to talk about from CES? Uh, the first thing was kind of the uh, the big product I went in really excited to see because I knew I had a hands-on slot booked with it, which is the Royal Flex Pie, which if you haven't heard of it, and fair play, sounds no delicious. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's a it's the world's first flexible phone. So Royal are a company who don't normally make phones, but they make display technology, and they're basically the first company that managed to crack this idea of a sort of small-scale, bendable, flexible display tech. And they surprised everyone by actually announcing a consumer device using it. Um, this is sort of ahead of, we're expecting, I think, late next month, just before the Mobile World Congress, Samsung are going to almost certainly announcing their proper take on this, which will probably be much more of an actual consumer device. The FlexPi is a little bit odd. Um, <laughs> yep. So it really feels like a prototype. Yeah, but it's a prototype you can buy for one thousand three hundred dollars. Mm. And what are you going to do with it once you bought it? So it's basically, in terms of size, it, it, so the, the, it's a sort of seven point something inch screen. So it's basically a small tablet, mm -hmm. but it's a small tablet that you can then bend in half, and then sort of there's a magnetic bit so that the two halves will then stick together, and then you can hold it there, and then it's a phone that's got a screen that goes all the way round. Yeah, basically. So there's nice touches they've done there. So you've got the bit of the screen that's on the edge. They've then added some custom software stuff to allow you some extra shortcuts basically down the side of the phone. They've got some stuff in the camera app. So that say when you open the camera, they've only got cameras on what's essentially the back of the phone once it's folded over. But you can have it so that if you're, say, taking a photo of someone, you can see the camera view on your side of the phone 
but they can see it as well. So they can see what the photo of them is going to look like while you're taking it. Um, there's nice stuff like that. You can see these uh, few little small use cases for flexible phones. I think I'm not yet convinced that it is worth it. I want to see more stuff to tell me, here's a thing you can do that you could never do before that makes it really, really different. And this didn't quite, because you've also got problems like it's bulkier, it's bigger. So you didn't part with $1,300 to bring one home? No. Uh, not least because, yeah, this one feels like a prototype. The yeah. software is janky <clears throat> as anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of, it's obviously trying to, normal phones have to do that orientation thing where they, they switch layouts between your whole vertical or sideways. And this has to be able to do that. It also has to know whether you've bent the screen. Once you've bent the screen, what orientation have you got it in and all yeah. this stuff. And it just couldn't quite keep up. Things like that cool camera feature I mentioned. Half the time I tried it, the camera app would just crash down to the desktop things like that when it worked it was like this is cool i like this i don't like it one thousand three hundred dollars but i like it but it didn't work properly uh it also feels the big downside which i think i, I reckon on the software side samsung are probably going to be a lot better so i reckon whatever the samsung device is and whatever it's called uh that will probably handle the software much better samsung will be making operating systems for years yeah and royal haven't so yeah. it's not really surprising that their version isn't as good um the hardware I'm more interested in about because I guess you got the same thing. Samsung have been making phones for years, Royal haven't, but limitations around the, the tech. So like it's made of plastic, the screen. It's not a glass screen, obviously. You couldn't, you know, make the bendy glass right now. But that means you can feel that it's plastic. It feels cheaper when you when you use it. When it's straightened out in the tablet mode, you can feel in the sort of at the point in the middle of the screen where it bends, you can feel that bit of almost slack to the screen. And so once it's bent round it feels perfectly smooth but to do that there has to be that little bit extra give in the plastic yeah so you can feel that there when it's in tablet mode it also it doesn't even perfectly straighten out in tablet mode it doesn't like click into perfectly smooth so actually if you hold it sideways when it's in the tablet version you can see a little bend still in the middle of the device which would just get on my nerves all it's the funny time. like it, it's obviously hugely cutting edge technology but yeah. the way you describe it actually sounds like quite a bit of retro technology the way it kind of clips at the top with a magnet yeah. and the way that it's kind of still made of plastic <clears throat> there's there's obviously some developments to, to happen here and it also reminds me of kind of the early days of the vr headset where there's a lot exactly terms, yeah. a lot of like kinks to be ironed out yet and that's the thing it really feels like this at least i'm fascinated about how, how polished the samsung version is going to look and i'm until two minds about whether it's going to be super polished or just as bad yeah but this feels like a prototype like it feels like enthusiast tech and to be fair when i say it's 1300 dollars, that's for a developer version sure. that's what you can buy if you're in the west is a 1300 dollars developer version so they're not selling it to consumers in the west they are selling it to consumers in china right now um and they are they claim to be in talks with carriers and networks in the uk and us to try and get it in shops I would be stunned yeah, if you see this phone anywhere near a UK or US shop. So is, is the strategy definitely for them to kind of get into the handset business or are they looking to maybe partner with people with this? I think the latter. I think it's a stunt. Yeah. I think yeah. it's a way of getting more consumer <clears throat> attention and more press attention behind tech to then partner with someone else who's maybe so we know lg and samsung are working on their own flexible display tech but not every handset manufacturer can afford to do that yeah. and to design that display tech themselves so they'll be looking to buy the display tech from samsung from lg royal has got to prove that its display tech is the one to buy not samsung's or lg so i think this is really just a stunt to get the name out there more get the press attention to try and help sell its display to other manufacturers 
I don't really expect Royal to become a phone brand. No. I don't expect to see another device from them. I don't expect to see this to be a consumer device anywhere outside China. Fair yeah, but the, the tone was really weirdly set when we went in there, and the, the sort of you know, sort of a product of this magnitude that has this sort of level of tech, you'd expect the PR to be super, super bouncy and super into it. And he, <laughs> and to his credit, he definitely tried, but it was <laughs> yeah. a bit awkward. Him and you know, because it, it, I mean, I watched Dom Handley and I was looking at it quite carefully, but it reminded me almost of like a children's toy, yeah. just in the sort of you know, like we're, we're plastic outside. The other thing to say yeah. is it was, I believe, it's the first phone to feature the eight five five. That's a good point. Yeah, so it's got the Snapdragon 855 processor. Um, it's it's not the first one to be announced with that. I think Lenovo got their first yep. the G5 Pro, I want to say. One of their slider phones. Um, but I think it might be the first one that's actually out, again, in China. Um, so it does have Snapdragon 855, so it'll be very fast. And, you know, it is all flagship specs inside. Yeah. You know, the RAM and the storage to boot, everything like that. Uh, cameras, I don't think of anything special. You know, this is like it's interesting that I would have expected them to basically make mid-range specs just to show off the screen. Yeah. They've gone all in on all the specs, yeah. Which does then slightly make me wonder whether it needs all that to yeah. power the screen and the stuff that's going on and the other challenges of the display tech and the bendiness. Yeah, yeah. but who knows? There's a certain feel that it was rushed to market just before, so before Samsung can get exactly. theirs out. It, this wouldn't have worked for Royal if anyone else had announced first. Exactly. They had to be the first company to announce this, yeah. which they have been. To one end, they wouldn't be the first company to rush something out for CES, would they? <laughs> mm. um, Sean, uh, moving on to you, what was the kind of the best thing you saw at CES? Um, so I spent a lot of CES looking at, at laptops, um, and uh, there might be an argument about laptops generally that innovation is slowing down slightly uh, in terms of uh, sort of what we can expect. Um, so the interesting stuff came out of actually the, the gaming sphere, where um, at Dell's press conference they announced the Alienware area 51m which is a huge monstrosity of of a laptop that will for the first time be featuring desktop processors in a laptop okay which you can also change so they're not soldered directly in and the same as uh, the graphics card as well but the graphics card does come with a slight asterisk because although you can change the graphics cards around in this laptop it's going to require uh so if you want to change from a 2070 to a 2080 it will need Dell's specific aftermarket adjustments made to the graphics card to be able to fit in. Um, so it was kind of interesting uh, seeing them uh, kind of come out with uh, just, you know, an individual and new new product, really, I guess. They're also um, trying quite hard to change the um, their sort of um, aesthetics of Alienware products into a sort of new design language they're calling um, Alienware Legend, I believe, or Legends. Yeah, um, that's it. Yeah, um, which, um, because they, they sort of made the uh, sort of comparison that pretty much all the gaming stuff released over the past decade has been, you know, just matte black and enough RGBs to, you know, land a plane on. Yeah, um, they kind of look matte black. They're kind of ruggedized, aren't they? There's, yeah. There's definitely a look and feel. Um, and I think that and they, they were talking a lot about sort of how like sort of gaming demographics have changed over the past sort of 10 years. You know, people are growing up more, so they maybe don't want that sort of matte black super aggressive like yeah. this is super obviously a gaming laptop yeah. look at me look yeah um and they're trying to mat- i mean it's still very alienware but they're trying to mature it a little bit so perhaps you could maybe use one without feeling like such a dick yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you can still get it in black they haven't shied away from that too much but white is actually the color they're really pushing and it looks lovely yeah it does it does look and, really good and it's all curves rather than jagged edges nice yeah um with a giant honking great like exhaust yes. thing on the back so yeah. it looks a lot like a spaceship that's about to take off yeah the specs of, <laughs> of the one that they were talking about with it was an i9 
8th Gen i9 uh, and 64 gig of RAM and a 2080, which in a laptop, it, I mean, the, the, the biggest issue is going to be keeping it cold, which is why there's a giant exhaust <laughs> port. I mean, it's really, it's quite an interesting design because it, sticking mm. with the Alienware theory, it does look a bit like a spaceship. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, the cooling is going to be a real issue because, I mean, in, in a 30 litre PC case, it's hard enough to keep everything cool. But if you're overclocking an i9 and a 2080, in a laptop form factor, almost no matter how big the laptop is, that's going to yeah. be a challenge. It's going to be interesting to see. The, the, the big thing there again, they were pushing is the fact that you can in you know you buy this you buy the this thing and then in three years you can upgrade the processor or graphics card if you want to, which is an interesting thought. But you know I don't think that if if you buy a laptop and you carry it around and use it for three years and then you want to upgrade the specs, I mean the sort of unless you want to change up literally everything in the laptop, I mean. You know, the keyboard's going to be knackered and it's going to have dents and things and then there's going to be scratches. It's like, you know, and the rest of the hardware around it, okay, you can change the CPU and the graphics card, but there's no guarantee that the next CPU is going to be compatible with the board. I yeah. mean, there's a, there's a lot of, I don't want to say gimmicky, um, because, I mean, the problem with gaming laptops, you know, really has always been, or any laptop, is you buy it and there's no upgrading it. Like, that's, that's your lot. Um, so I think they're kind of appealing to the crowd that want that to change, but it's going to be a hard sell um yeah also not going to be cheap yeah i was yeah. going to say this doesn't sound like a cheap piece of kit no not not entry level entry level is two and a half grand yeah. wow but then i think that speaks a lot to who they're trying to reach with this and i think that point about why you know after three years you can then upgrade it but would you really want to i think that's true for the average consumer or even the average gamer laptop buyer but i don't think that's who this is for and I think what they're really reaching out for, I think they know this is going to be a niche product. And I think this is probably really their thinking, the person who actually upgrades every year because they want the new i9 and the new NVIDIA graphics card. And they're willing to upgrade every year. And in a year's time, you can upgrade. And then you still want to have the same laptop, but now you can upgrade it. So I think it is really for the money is no object crowd and that's why it's sort of this big, bulky, beastly thing. It's not, you know, there are other laptop announcement with a slim down 17 inch yeah. thing. Yeah. So that's trying for the sort of more lightweight crowd that all of the gaming laptops, is, you know, trying to trying to get to now, trying to get a bit more accessible, a bit more portable. This is sort of saying you don't care about portability. You don't care about accessibility. You're like a gamer through and through yeah. and you're willing to sink like multiple thousands of pounds every single year into this hobby. Yeah. And yeah. this is the means to do that. Uh, and because you wouldn't buy this laptop unless you're basically taking it to conventions and competitive uh, gaming events, and as in a, which case you're more likely to really care to invest every single year in, yeah. in the latest stuff. And as a complete noob, what what sort of games are these? Are this consumer base kind of playing? Uh, this would be off basically the big, the big FPS stuff and the big MOBA stuff. Yeah. So the big, you know, like I say, it'll be a lot in the competitive space. So you know things like. Um, League of Legends and Overwatch yeah. probably a big one but then also just all of that crowd will often also care about being able to play the big AAA single player games on ultra specs across yeah. the board yeah, yeah, yeah. and everything be you know yeah. as fluid as it possibly can be the, um, the important thing to say is that it will not only feature 120 but also 240 hertz displays yeah. uh, on it as well yeah I mean it's, it's an interesting interesting one to sort of um, to try and gauge I mean there's an argument that I mean you know it says that if you're going to be playing going to, to do competitive stuff like League of Legends and Overwatch you don't really need it but something this this powerful no one does <laughs> yeah exactly there's, <laughs> also, the there's definitely also that no one does it's also an interesting time for it to actually arrive because obviously Intel are changing their 
They're moving down to 10 nanometer uh, nano, uh, architecture next year, which means that the next round of processors that Intel bring out, I think, before I say something, but it's going to be a completely different size, which means right. that I'm pretty sure the current board is not going to be... It's not going to be the And also, in, mm. Intel are terrible with keeping compatibility between yeah. generations anyway with boards and processors. Um, yeah, so it's definitely an, an interesting one. Um, and they had, you know, I mean, they had Aisha Tyler, uh, Aisha Tyler, am I saying that right? From so. yeah, for Lana from Archer, and also she shows up at these things, and she was at Dell press conference, so you know, I was sold instantly. <laughs> you know, she's great. Um, but yeah, um, it's it's interesting, um, and at least it's a new direction they're they're trying to shove in, and they're trying yeah. to make something out of that. So, so I was I was quite impressed with the Area Fifty One M at first, and then we saw the Asus mothership, and then yes. I was like, nah, I don't care about the Fifty One M. Yeah, the Asus, <laughs> Asus mothership was uh, definitely an interesting. Uh, an interesting one to look at. Um, that's sort of really taking the, um, yeah, it's sort of a surface for the hardcore gaming crowd. So it's, it's a giant tablet um, with with <laughs> giant uh, gaming tablet, giant it's gaming tablet with a world, with, yeah, with a, with a detachable keyboard. Um, and again, i nine sixty four gig of RAM, uh, yeah. two thousand series Nvidia graphics cards. Um, again, not cheap, um, but yeah, just uh, I mean. Asus ROG, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was interesting as well because after the people at Dell brought up the fact that they had definitely influenced the design of gaming hardware from Matte Black to RGBs, you go yeah. look at the Asus Republic of Gamers and it's just Matte Black and RGBs everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that was kind of interesting itself. I mean, it wasn't light to sort of, um, uh, <laughs> they, um, again, cooling was what I kept thinking about, but they've done it because it's a tablet and it will uses a small kickstand and stands upright. It means it's not in most in like a clamshell laptop. It's not sitting yeah. on the desk. There's actually a lot means, of airflow. Yeah, so it can pull air from more, more directions. Um, and they're cooling. Um, you know, what I asked the Alienware guys about cooling, and the guys started talking about hexagons and how important it was. Hex, why hexagons are better than a circle for for exhaust for port cool. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When they start talking about shapes, you know, you've probably asked you're the wrong question. Yeah, yeah, you're out. It's gone. Um, when I asked the um, Asus guys, they were much more forthcoming about uh, how they plan to cool it and keep it cool. Um, which was good to see, um, but yeah, I mean that was, but that's that's from what it sounds like that's going to start from five grand. Yeah, I think that's an even more premium, absurd product. I mean, I love the mothership for the um, the sheer ballsiness of it. Yes, it's it's nuts. Uh, yeah. I can't. The use case is just fascinating because, like you said, it's a big device. It's a big, uh, you know, all the high specs, lots of space for the cooling stuff. It's trying to be a tablet thing, which is generally something we'd associate more with portability. It's not portable. It's not portable. <laughs> it's so heavy. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's the heaviest thing. Yeah. Um, but it's it's what I found interesting about the messaging is when, when we first heard about it, uh, I assumed they were going to push it as basically it's for gamers, but it's also for creatives. And it's for creatives who want to game, and it's, say, for game devs who are creating and gaming and want to be able to do that on the same machine. Because, obviously, it's generally the creative industries that like these Surface-esque, yeah. big screen, tablet devices that can be sort of moved around, don't have to take up too much desk space. They're not really for portability, but they're for being sort of a compact desk device and uh, the touchscreen to let you do drawing and that kind of thing. And at least in our meeting with them, there's no mention of that at all. No. Asus aren't pushing it that way, which I find really odd because I feel like that's the demographic it's for. Yep. It's for people who want to use the same device for designing something and drawing something and then they want to close Photoshop or Illustrator or whatever 
and open up Call of Duty. Yeah, the, the issue is, I feel like it's, I mean, while demographics are definitely interesting, when, when something starts from over five grand, I'm trying to work out if you're still talking about a demographic that makes sense anymore. Like, I mean, I mean that's unless you're unless you're targeting professionals, which this most definitely isn't. You know, it's it's a very sort of strange thing to talk about. The word also the word ergonomic kept getting thrown around <laughs> because you can have the sort of display upright at almost any angle using the kickstand, and then because the keyboard's detachable. So you can sort of lie upside down and use it if you want to, and you know, you can hold it. Yeah, the, yeah. If you can hold it, <laughs> the, the, the idea is that you know, if you're using a like um, a PC, then your keyboard might be at a certain angle, or and you know, your mouse will be off somewhere else, which you can't do with a laptop. Yeah. Um, but with this, because the keyboard is nice and detachable, um, you can. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting product, um, and it's maybe an interesting way of the way the industry is going. Mm. Um, but I mean, like so much of this stuff, I mean, yeah, it's not going to set the world on fire. No, um, might set your wallet on fire. Yeah, um, but not the world. Right, I'm going to cut you off there. Um, we are going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about your last two things. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Dom, what was the second thing that uh, caught your attention during the Consumer Electronics Show? Uh, so it's kind of, in a sense of my expectations, it's the inverse of my experience with the FlexPi. I went in really excited to see the, the FlexPi, came away quite disappointed with the reality of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and my second thing is something I went to see basically hoping to make a video trashing this dumb piece of weird CES tech yeah. and came away desperate for one. Brilliant. So this is the... Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this probably, but the Mui, which is M-U-I, it's a Japanese company. Uh, They call it a calm design device. Mm. I hope they're working on the name. (laughs) It is a smart plank of wood, uh, which is how I was sold it. And then I went to see, I want to see the smart plank. And yeah, it's a a piece of wood. It's a big plank. What Uh, what makes it smart? (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's a big piece of wood that you can wall mount. And then it serves Any as a smart home hub. specific grain on this wood? Uh, I didn't ask what type of wood it was, and I wish I had. But so it's sort of like, you know, light light tannish sort nice. of colour. Nice. Uh, it's, uh, together. it's maybe sort of 
three feet long or gotcha. something, and about eight inches tall, a few inches deep. Um, yeah, it's it's a piece of wood, mm-hmm. but somehow they've taken a piece of wood, a not especially big piece of wood, and built in a load of LEDs, a touch display, a speaker, a microphone, and of course a power supply. And so this is like a fully functional smart home hub, like a Google Home Mini and stuff. So it's got a speaker. The speaker's not going to be great quality. You're not going to want to use this for music, like with the Google Home Mini. But you know, it will. It runs Google uh, Google Assistant. Um, so, and then you can sort of you know use Bluetooth and Wi-Fi to link it up to your other your existing sound system or your other smart home devices. And yeah, you just use it to control all your smart home stuff. It's got you can do all the voice controls that you would with any of the standard Google stuff. But it's also the display has some built-in support for um, a thermostat. So you can sort of flick through to thermostat and just touch on or up to change it. Uh, you can see the weather. Um, you can control music. You can control smart lights and, you know, the option to control specific lights. So it built a nice simple UI that lets you flick through and control a few different things. And also um, a, a sort of text interface for the Google Assistant. So just so that you can... You still speak out loud, but you can basically see what you've said then pop up on the screen in the LEDs and see the Google Assistant reply written out in LEDs, um, which is all very cool. The, the I mean, the sell of this basically is it's a smart home hub for people who don't want bits of ugly tech littered around their house. Mm-hmm. They're definitely skewing towards a rich demographic. It's on Kickstarter right now for five hundred and fifty dollars considering that the Google Home Mini is less than $50 for the same functionality. You know, you've, you've got to have a lot of um, spare money sitting around to be able to justify this one. But it's basically, it's this kind of, you know, it's that kind of Japanese, Scandinavian, minimalist wooden design philosophy. You don't want some ugly bit of tech. You just want this piece of blank wood on the wall. And it's totally blank. It is just a piece of wood. And then you tap it, and then it lights up, and then it's everything. And once you're done with it, after 10 seconds or so, the lights fade off again. And it's once again this piece of, like, decorative wood on your wall. Um, so is the idea that people come into your flat and they're like, what's what's with the piece of wood? I'm like, glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay, yeah. laughs> what was interesting was talking to one of the founders who was basically saying part of the thinking behind it, which I kind of like, was the idea that it's something that you will keep forever because the tech will become obsolete. And mm-hmm. they're happy to admit that the tech will become obsolete in a few years' time. But in his words, if that happens with your Google Home, then it's garbage. Like, once the tech is obsolete in your Google Home, many once Google released an updated version that's significantly better, you just have to throw the old one away. Yeah. Uh, but with this, the idea is, even once it becomes useless to you as a smart home hub, it's still this piece of furniture. It's this piece of art that you have on your wall that you will still have memories associated with. It could travel around with you from home to home. And so the, the, their hope, I guess, is that this is actually, first and foremost, a piece of minimalist furniture. Second a smart home hub yeah and they, once that bit runs out you still have this fancy piece of, i mean you could just buy a plank <laughs> to be fair could you, you could just a get a plank yeah planks are cheaper as but, well um you know it's a nice plank of wood yeah um yeah i you know the more i talk about it the sillier it sounds <laughs> yeah. and i'm aware of that as i'm going i started off saying i love this and as i'm going like this is a daft product but it's a daft product i want it's not a daft product i would personally spend 500 dollars on <clears throat> um it might, but I it see might develop cult would. status, though, and then, you know, you know, it might be worth more in the future. If and, it... yeah. yeah, and the thing is, when you think about it, it's that's a high price for a smart home hub. 
is not a high price for high-end furniture. It's a high price for a piece of wood. It's a high price for a plank of wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's not a high price. I bet you there's someone out there selling a regular plank of wood that you stick on your wall, and they're charging $1,000 for it, but it's, you know... They probably sort of are. like Venetian mahogany or something. Go to, yeah, some antiques dealer, like the one that used to be on the Harry Enfield sketch show. Yeah. You'll probably be seen coming. Yeah. Um, great. Okay, we're going to jump on to uh, the last thing we wanted to talk about, which was uh, the big controversy mm. at CES this year. Um, for anyone that didn't uh, come across this story, um, basically, uh, Laura Haddock, who is a, um engineer, um, she leads a uh, team of engineers who developed a sex toy, which they were going to be showing off at CES. Um, it is called Ose. Ose? It's got an accent on the yeah, E. I'm not sure. Um, and basically before they went to the show, they were told that they were going to win um, an innovation award for this uh, piece of technology in, the, um, in one of the... Uh, categories. It was the robotics and drone product category. One of the official awards. Yes, yeah, yeah, one of the official CES, CES awards. awards. Yeah. Um, then I think a few weeks before the show, they were contacted again by the organizer CES, saying that their product actually would not only not be winning the award, but they wouldn't be allowed to attend the show mm. uh, on the basis that it was uh, immoral, obscene, indecent, profane, or not keeping with CTA's image of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kicked off a huge stink, uh, yeah. naturally, um, and I think the best way to um, kind of verbalise why is to use uh, Laura Haddock's own words, <laughs> yeah. uh, where she said um, basically that this is a ridiculous turn of events because uh, also at the show last year there was, and this is a quote, a literal sex doll for men launched on the floor at CES in 2018 and a VR porn company exhibiting there every year, allowing men to watch pornography in public as consumers walk by. Men's sexuality is allowed to be explicit with a literal sex robot in the shape of an unrealistically proportioned woman and VR porn in a point of pride along the aisle, whereas female sexuality, on the other hand, is heavily muted, if not outright banned. Uh, I think that I've buried the lead here as well because the product that we're talking about is a dildo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a very advanced dildo produced by this uh, group of female engineers and yes the the problem here is that it would appear that anything to do with female sexuality is not allowed by the show on the basis of obscenity yeah. anything to do with male sexuality is completely fair game yeah i mean there's just no justification for the stance like if you first hear it out of context and you think well fair enough they don't need to allow sex toys in the show like to perfectly them. reasonable to draw a line on sex tech um but they haven't like nice. CES has always had loads of sex stuff. I mean, I, I've been this year and last year, both years I've had invites to go to VR porn demos, uh, which I have turned down. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, that comment about being able to, you know, watch, watch VR porn on the show floor as people will buy. Yeah, like someone asked if I wanted to come do that. And I was like, no, thank you. Yeah. I really don't want to watch porn in the middle of a convention center. But like that is there. And obviously that is all stuff that's targeted at men. Uh, there's, there's, yeah. I don't know if there are any more sex bots this year, but there certainly was the one last year. And there's often been stuff around that. And it is just, you cannot possibly justify saying that that stuff is not obscene or vulgar or whatever the phrasing is. But this one sort of robotic dildo vibrator toy because it's aimed at women, like that one's not okay. Like it's- It's just an absolutely ludicrous ludicrous stance to take. Um, They obviously are judge, jury and executioner on these matters, but they've, they've really- uh, put themselves into a PR hole with this uh, with this story. Um, 
What's crazy is that they didn't see it coming. Yeah. The yeah. fact that, you know, that they, they initially approved that this person even went through, the, the, sorry, this tech went through for, you know, the awards nomination process, went through a panel of people on the committee and, and got approved and all of that. Then it was clearly, it must have been getting the award that then caught someone's attention higher up and made yeah. them go, wait, why is this in the show? But it's mad that they ever thought they could get away with this without it blowing back on them. Again, because there is all this other sex yeah. tech for yeah. men, they cannot possibly have thought this would not happen, that they wouldn't immediately have everyone turn around and say, hang on, sexism, this no. is crazy. Yeah, uh, I, I'm in awe that they went ahead with it and didn't just you know, yeah. let this happen and, you know. And the hypocrisy of it, 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 my colleague Tamlin pointed out, is is ludicrous as well because the, the Consumer Electronics Show was actually born out of a pornography uh, mm, convention yeah. in Las Vegas anyway. Uh, you used to attend the pornography um, conference and get a free ticket to CES. Uh, CES has obviously outgrown it a little bit. <laughs> just, just, um, I, think, I think the porn one still happens. It's either the week before or the week after. It's all around the same time. Yeah. Um, where, this was kind of the big story, um, this side of the pond that came out CES. This was the one that kind of caught my attention. Yeah. Uh, generally, a lot of this stuff kind of blends into one because so much is announced and it's the new year and i'm still getting my head back into work mode but um was it was it kind of talked about on the show floor did it kind of come up or or was it mostly kind of a social media it came up a bit out there i had a couple conversations i'd actually say the biggest story over there was discussions around the impact of the the china u.s trade war yeah that's the kind of thing i kept finding people talking about and it's sort of leading into discussions about, you know, Huawei having a smaller presence than they normally do and them admitting that was a conscious decision, things like that. So it it, it was sort of funny. I, I read online lots of stuff about the sex toy thing and then didn't really come across it much in conversations with people out there. Yeah. And it felt like something, I guess, because there wasn't a product on display, yeah. it was easy to not see when you're yeah. in the busy show and going around the show floor. Whereas you're constantly seeing... Chinese companies' products, and so that kept sparking conversations about the trade war situation and how uh, how that had impacted the show and the layout and the the structure of things. Yeah. Um, so it definitely wasn't as big. Fair enough. Out there. Yeah. Um, we probably weren't moving in the correct circles to hear too much about it. I guess okay, that stuff. Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't <laughs> we don't hang out as much you know as much as we maybe like to in the sex toy crowd. No, no, no an extra day or two we'd have been <laughs> in there, right there. Cool. Uh, I think that's enough CES for one day. I'm sure you two are exhausted mm. by it. Um, I want to say uh, thank you to you two for, for coming on today. Um, I'm also going to uh, issue a little programming note. Um, this is probably the last UK Tech Weekly podcast for a little while. We're going to be going on a brief, uh, possibly not that brief, hiatus. <laughs> um, we're going to go away. We're going to um, kind of rethink uh, the format of the show, um, how we kind of go about uh, bringing you a regular podcast, maybe changing the focus a little bit um we will certainly be back at some point um but if you don't see us in your feed for a while that is why um on that note i also just want to thank anyone that has listened to us uh we cannot believe that we have recorded 110 112 now (laughs) episodes uh when we set this up um a year or so ago uh so thanks for anyone that has uh loyally followed us or even just dipped in and out we actually really appreciate it so thank you very much UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.